0: Two guys five movies this is one of your co-hosts chris gasper this is frank Pellicone. you are listening to episode 13 of the spin chagrin lucky 13 except for it's not lucky at all so mm. frank last week was a <coughs> post tarantino imitation yep the
1: category and what did what did you choose i want to tell the audience yes let's talk a little bit about this so when you when you rolled this category i was initially kind of i don't know concerned maybe because i've seen so many of the movies that i would consider like the post tarantino imitations like the eight heads in a duffel bag and two days in a valley and killing zoe and i don't know i mean there's so many um that came out in the the early to mid 90s and then into the 2000s and You probably could argue that even like through today you're still seeing those talky edgy crime thrillers that have quirky characters and whatever um sure so i thought it might be tough um so i searched 90s neo-noir because i figured you know maybe i'll find something that i never saw or i for you know forgot about or whatever and one of the first things that popped up is a movie that I initially really wanted to see um, when it when it was announced and when it came out in theaters. Um, and for some reason, I guess I never I never saw it. I mm-hmm. just it I just skipped it. And then the DVD cover was so off putting to me. Um, what was the DVD cover? It's this, like, piss yellow Yeah, color. okay. It's the one that's on Wikipedia, then, if anybody wants to see it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, with, with them kind of in, yeah, like, grayscale almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, super saturated by the color of the background. So, the movie is The Way of the Gun. Yeah. And I watched this movie on Wednesday night, maybe? Wednesday or Thursday night. Like, pretty soon after we did The Spin Chagrin. And afterwards I kind of cheated a little bit and I pulled like a like a pseudo red card and I texted you and I said, Look, like I think you need to watch this movie too before we talk about it. Um just because I I thought it was so awful.
0: Yeah. And and here's the
1: thing is I had the
0: exact same experience as you where it's like I heard Macquarie was writing and directing like this movie i was a big fan of the usual suspects so i was like pretty excited by the idea of it and something happened between the announcement of it i don't even know if i ever saw a trailer for this and then it came out and it's like i had the opportunity to watch it and yeah and back then we were all assholes a lot of us and would like buy the shit rather than like rent it or anything like that around this time period and right i i had the opportunity to like buy it and watch it and there was just something that made me say no like i don't i don't want to see that i don't have any interest in it so i'm not going to count this at all as like a red card like you know like because you're exactly right i had to watch this movie just like i think you felt like you had to watch this movie oh yeah you said it it was like fuck you're right um and i still oh. want in even though i could tell your attitude i still want in like okay like let me watch this movie like it was something i wanted to see 20
1: plus years ago like let me sit down and watch this and yeah it didn't go well i was actually super stoked when i found it and was like shit like i really have never seen that movie um because i was thinking maybe this is some kind of like hidden gem that just kind of mm-hmm. fell by the wayside because for a long time McQuarrie didn't do anything and after like that initial burst of the usual suspects where he was you know touted as like almost like this whatever wonder like up and uh, up and coming wonderkin, it was like mm-hmm. this movie's five years after that in 2000 so that's a pretty long time to go between a, like a new director making his first movie to his second movie sure um so I went in with an open mind and you know it's Del Benicio, Del Toro, who I, you know, really liked a lot in a lot of his roles, and James Khan who's, you know, a, a, whatever sure. I don't know what you call it, like Hall of Fame actor or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then some good supporting. Like I'm not the biggest Julia Lewis fan, but whatever. I mean, she's a real actress, mm-hmm. and I like Tay Diggs and um, Nikki Cat has been in some stuff that I've liked. Mm-hmm. So I really thought like I mean, this is going to be like a a fun little ensemble piece. And the funny thing is when you search for way of the gun, one of the first things that pops up on Google is way of the gun opening scene. And I was like, Oh my God, like what kind of craziness is going to happen here? That's going to, you know, like set the tone for this movie. Mm -hmm. So, so let's, let's just, let's just go in and talk about way of the gun. So the opening scene of this movie is Sarah Silverman berating benicio del toro and ryan felipe who are leaning against her boyfriend's car with the most like vile homophobic tirade imaginable like you could not have that scene happen today no in any way shape or form and not be pretty much just like immediately canceled i think i mean it would be I don't know what context this scene could happen in, but it would be really difficult to pull it off. And it's it's rough. And so we we talked about this offline a little bit about this movie. So when you see them first, they're leaning against the car. And what I got the impression of was the two hired thugs um, that, um, that are in history of violence the ones that initially come to find um Viggo Mortensen in a small Mm -hmm. town that are you know dead-eyed cold killers completely like immune to the thought of the consequence of violence or death you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like set up like that like here's these two badasses and then they one of them Felipe punches Sarah Silverman and then they get the shit kicked out of Yes. and so the opening scene is this like ridiculous tirade by her and then them laying on the ground beaten up and the voiceover by um Felipe or Del toro I can't remember whose voiceover it is about like their story unfolding from here so automatically your two main characters I guess are just punks really <laughs> like they're just it's it's such an off-putting scene so the premise of this movie is that these two guys are not career criminals or hit men or badasses. They're two low-life grifters that make a living off selling sperm samples and donating blood, basically, to make ends meet. Like, doing whatever they can to make a quick buck mm-hmm. so they don't have to work. So automatically, not very sympathetic characters, necessarily. And I guess they're not. Maybe they're meant to be at some point, but anyway, later on, I think they're meant to be, but yeah, not certainly not in the beginning. So while they're so then there's another crazy, like, and like homophobic um, spiel from Felipe, when mm-hmm. he's being questioned by the intake doctor or the intake nurse or whatever at the, you know, the sperm donation clinic about homosexuality and whether or not the guy that's asking these questions is a homosexual be it's just, it's it's so tone deaf like the whole thing even for 2000 it's really tone deaf yes and so they overhear about this woman who's a surrogate for this wealthy man and she's getting paid a million dollars to carry this man's baby um, because his wife refuses to get pregnant so they concoct this scheme in a matter of moments, to basically kidnap this woman and ransom her to this rich man for her unborn child. So now these two lame ass, low life grifters are tracking this this surrogate. I guess because they hear like when her appointment is or whatever yes, at the doctors yeah. are tracking the surrogate who is being guarded by Tay Diggs and I can't remember the other actor's name that these two bodyguards into this private clinic so then it becomes like so they come in and they're immediately made by the bodyguards that they're you know 'er ne'er-do-wells and they draw guns on each other and then the bodyguards are like basically like well we'll shoot her to keep you from taking her and they just back off they just leave and then she you realize, like i guess there's some other dialogue where she's like talks about being unhappy or whatever but then she runs away from the bodyguards and you go into the scene where these two assholes have now murdered like this professional group of the other bodyguards that are there and luck into her running outside and they take her and they get in their van and then they execute this fucking like heat level getaway in their bronco that it's just it stretches it stretches the limits of like credulity like super fast that all of a sudden these guys are these professional shooters and criminals that can execute with military precision these maneuvers to kidnap this woman and yes. outsmart these two other men who are actual professional you know whatever like i mean they never go into it but sure. you know and, and, like and, and, the, and are, the
0: problem with it is there's no nuance when this is when this happens there's no nuance in the sense of like letting you think that they got lucky you know that they're like bad comparison or like you know analogy maybe but it's like you think of like okay so these 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 guys that are trained are nine out of ten like you know bodyguards or whatever like you know killers and like say these guys are like four out of ten or something like that and they got lucky right right you know there's no sense of that whatsoever it's like suddenly there are these dudes that got beat down outside of a club that sell their fucking sperm um, for money, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, like, you know, these these fucking pieces of shit get lucky, you know, against these guys, but there's no sense of that. It's almost like, no, these guys are always these guys, except for when they're selling their sperm. Um, it, it,
1: Or even like... I have more to say, but I want to get to the movie about, like, some of that stuff, but... Cut out, cut out, like, 40% of the movie so far, and just have them kind of luck into her trying to escape sure these guys outside and they take her in the car and then they realize like oh my god like we can make a lot of money ransoming her yeah and then they get away but it, so anyway yeah. so but, and, and
0: let me just since we're at this point let me just say i in the first nine minutes of the movie is when the silverman scene happens and then the scene with the sperm donor stuff and the and the bencio and Philippi, like you know i guess it's supposed to create their characters maybe like or give you an impression of their characters it doesn't it doesn't do a very good job of it because the whole Philippi thing is just like you said this uh uh, anti-homosexual rant right um which feels it if that's supposed to establish them it makes both of them kind of both annoying and and unlikable immediately. And I don't know if that's the goal of this, considered they're your kind of eyes and ears throughout most of the movie. Like they're your at least central characters, if not protagonists, or maybe they're anti-heroes. I'm still unclear, even after having watched the movie, like what their role is supposed to be. But I I texted you like nine minutes in, and I was like, I texted you after the first scene, and I was like, ugh and then i texted you after as like it got worse <laughs> it got worse after 9 minutes with that with that gay rant um completely doesn't need to be in the movie whatsoever there is no reason to me to put it in it doesn't do anything with the character it doesn't establish anything about the character it is just there almost to me that the writer of this perhaps just wanted to get
1: that gay rant in right so anyway so let's let's get through the plot and then we can go back because i have some quotes (laughs) um so they again military precision execute this kidnapping and the idea is they're going to take her into mexico and then get the doctor to come down and basically be their the the bag man to bring the money down And then they'll let him deliver the baby, take the baby and they'll get away with the money in Mexico. So enter James Kahn, who's probably maybe the best part of this movie, I guess. It's Um, absolutely. Yes. True. I only say that because I find a lot of his dialogue to be really stilted, but I think that con does a good job of delivering this world weary career criminal persona and actually in my opinion um shit what is his name the guy that plays abner uh cons like partner mm-hmm. uh, it's jeffrey lewis is the guy yeah, yeah jeffrey lewis who's pretty recognizable as a uh, um, yeah. you've seen him
0: in something
1: <laughs> yeah as a, a a guy playing russian roulette with a bag full of loaded guns who's trying to kill himself at the beginning of the movie. Um, who's James Khan's partner. Like those two are probably the best parts of the movie in my opinion. So anyway, so you find out that the man that was paying for the surrogate baby is not necessarily like a crime boss, but he's kind of a guy that helps crime bosses to cover up their tracks sort of. So he's super wealthy and really connected. And he wants to keep Tay Diggs and Tay Diggs's buddy on his employee, a, employee, even though they fucked up and like lost his surrogate mother, um, because he wants to have a son so bad because he finds out at the beginning of the movie that she's carrying a boy. So James Ka just wants to go in and basically take these two guys out and get the girl back, because you find out later in spoilers or whatever, that the girl is James Ka's daughter that he convinced to be the surrogate so she could get this i don't know Whatever. it doesn't make any sense in terms of the plot right and you actually can guess that it's his daughter within like the first time that her identity is even kind of broached with him in a scene like there's no subtlety to it at all but they don't really tell you until the last i guess 15 minutes of the movie like oh hey like it's supposed to be some kind of twist mm-hmm. um or maybe i'm just an idiot and miss them like saying it earlier but i the way that he does it is meant I I think it's meant to keep you in suspense Uh, so there's a whole lot of talking she needs medical attention so they get the doctor to come the doctor has a gun but they pistol whip him and take the gun he says she needs medical attention but they're like you know you need to do it here and then It turns out that he's the son of the guy, the pseudo crime boss, but he's a fuck up and he did some unnamable thing. I guess like he botched an abortion, I suppose is what the implication is in Philadelphia. And now his, the other guys like crime connections somehow smoothed that over. So he didn't like lose his license, but now he's like, you know, got a blood debt to his dad where he's got to do whatever he wants, which is why he's Using his doctor skills to help deliver the surrogate baby. Then there's another weird subplot where Tay Diggs is for no reason fucking the wife of the pseudo mob boss. Yeah. And it just kind of comes up and yeah. they're like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna run away and take take him out and you're gonna take his place and then we're gonna be together. But like nothing ever comes of it. It doesn't even matter. So it's 20 or not 20, it's like eight or nine minutes of dialogue that are completely irrelevant to the rest of the plot. Um, They go to Mexico, but like everybody knows where they are the whole time. Somehow like they're still being tracked. Then Ryan Felipe starts to develop feelings for Juliette Lewis because he's a sap. He's like an easy mark basically. And that's kind of a thing where here's this, fuck up loser who's all of a sudden a badass gunfighter but now he's not a badass gunfighter he's a sappy romantic that cares about you know Mm -hmm. this woman's like feelings and comfort and stuff and and let me tell you like this movie is one of the most overwritten things i've ever seen in my life like there's so much dialogue that's just tripping over itself yes to be cool and memorable that it completely you completely lose any kind of sense of narrative sometimes just because they talk so much and 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 say nothing right and like yeah it's just it's just oh this this is it's like one of my friends in high school and i used to talk about like writing movies all the time and we would sit there when we were 18 19 years old and come up with this dialogue this like you know Bleeding edge, like cutting dialogue, like oh yeah, that's such a cool quote. But when you go back and look at it, you know, later in life, it's like, man, like how would that that would never work in a movie? Like that just sounds so preposterous and like written. You know what I mean? Like there's no natural feeling to anything that's said in this movie, and I mean that from every character's perspective. Like there's no sense. It's all such hyperbole like all of it that it's just ridiculous and so anyway so they go to mexico he develops feelings then they set a trap for um the bag men that are coming after him and again these two fuck-ups with like a sniper rifle up in the hills like picking off you know these professionals by tricking them by like driving away in the van and then she gets the shotgun that they were using as a trap and gets away um steals whatever the police officer i don't know anyway she ends up going to this like hacienda um super pregnant and the doctor's there and they're like tate diggs is like you gotta deliver this baby and i don't want to deliver this baby you know i have to do a c-section and i can't do that now now you got to do it there's some mexican guy that's like the proprietor of the hotel that comes out of nowhere that ends up getting killed and just kind of serves a purpose of i guess being sort of like this is before kill bill but i guess the similar idea to um uh, michael park's character in kill bill um this guy that like runs this brothel that the pseudo gangster has connections to then james khan is there and then there's this ridiculously long fucking gunfight where all of a sudden again these two fucking losers are like john woo characters like spinning behind pillars and popping out and like continuously reloading Guns and like shooting and fighting these weird like old men who were kind of like all of a sudden the bagman because Tay Diggs gets shot in the face by um uh the doctor and unceremoniously dies and <laughs> actually a scene that made me laugh out loud is when Tay Diggs dies and he's like he's like looking up at the corner then he's looking down at the floor and that's when he's dead um right so anyway in the end the two Del Toro and Felipe um both end up getting wounded and you're i guess meant to assume it's fatal wounding but they don't actually ever really say that they're just kind of laying in the dirt at the end with james khan standing over him because he purposefully shoots him in ways that looks like he's just wounding them um and i guess that's maybe meant to imply that he's sort of like rewarding them for keeping his daughter safe um but again you never fucking like see i, I don't know whatever for as much talking in this movie, they try and like they try to be coy about shit and leave things up to your imagination, right? Um, right. And that's it. Like, there's other shit that happens, but it's not. Yeah, I seriously
0: thought about. this movie during the hotel sequence. I thought this movie was pretty much like had like five minutes left, and then I like touched the screen and saw that it still had forty minutes left, like. I felt like I had watched a two hour movie by the time it was like an hour and 20 minutes into it. Like that's how much is just going on in this movie. And none of it actually matters. Like not. I. The more it went on, the more I like felt hopeless, like in life. (laughs) Like that's how, that's how, that's how like much I disliked just this movie, like watching it. Like there's nothing redeeming about this movie tonight. Except for maybe James Conn. Maybe.
1: He has a couple of lines that he delivers really well. Um Some I'ma I'm read you a James con line. You mm-hmm. ready? Yeah. Fifteen million dollars is not money. It's a motive with a universal adapter on it. Right. Right. Like right. I don't care how good of an actor you are. Yeah, you can't right. You can't deliver that shit. In any kind of convincing manner, yeah. Karma's karma's justice without the satisfaction. I don't believe in justice. Yeah, the, the the there's one good line that he that he
0: writes in this and and con delivers. It is um something like the only thing you can suppose about a old man broken like something like a broken old man is that he's a survivor or something like that which I thought was a good line um but way too on the nose at the same time <laughs> like for like it's like if you want a line that defines the character and what you're supposed to feel and think about the character um there you go it's served up to you like easily but I thought it was a good line um it's just too on point yeah I don't know. Yeah, I think I think everybody in this movie, I and here's why I feel so negatively about this movie. If I just go through every aspect of it, acting, it's like Bencio doesn't feel like he's trying. Philippi feels like he's trying and can't deliver. James Caan isn't trying and it's still probably maybe like one of the best things in the movie. Um, uh, Jeffrey Lewis I think nails like some of his stuff actually um in this except for the character is so uneven like to me like ultimately and then they put him in like a like his death scene is like basically played for laughs um out of nowhere when there's nothing necessarily funny about this movie whatsoever and then suddenly we get a comedy sequence um like Julia Lewis is fine, but she's not really given anything to do mostly, other than like scream most of the time. Uh Tay Diggs, um, I think it's interesting to kind of like play down like that guy's like charming smile and stuff like that into like making him kind of like ice cold, but like the character again isn't written well enough or has enough to do that, like it actually matters. Yeah. So the acting in this is kind of like negated by the script itself well i mean yeah the Um, script
1: is just like the the script is tripping over itself constantly to try and outdo the last line that you heard yes to the point where like none of it resonates with you at all sure i mean again i'm telling like it's a a great example though of imitation of
0: tarantino because it's somebody who's trying to write this kind of tarantino-esque dialogue i think like some snappy and witty and has impact to it and
1: sounds cool sure and it's awful it's awful. Yeah, it's really bad it maybe the best i'm trying to think of things that i can say the scene where so first of all you you say that del toro feels like he's not trying del toro feels like he's asleep yeah like he's 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 a mumbly dude anyway and half mm-hmm. of his dialogue is just yeah, it's just like whispered mumbly shit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah. there's this, there's the this scene where Del Toro calls after the doctor gets sent back to Chittuck, is the name of the, the mob boss guy. Gets sent back to Chittuck with like the demands and they call and Taye Diggs answers the phone and pretends to be an old white dude. And I actually thought that for a moment, I was like, okay, well, this movie like has might have some redeeming value eventually because this scene is actually a little funny and you know there's like some some humor to it, even though it's kind of gallows humor. And it's also setting up Tay Diggs as being this guy who's quick thinking and you know adding value to his bosses, whatever. Like he's showing, but it just like again, it never goes anywhere. And then they immediately fuck up Tay Diggs' character by having him. You know, be a guy that's like fucking his his boss's wife and it's just mm-hmm. it's the most and McQuery, that McQuery shoots some of these scenes really well like sure. again I agreed the the escape so I'm gonna describe this scene Yeah, okay? I, I, he, I, shoot, he
0: shoots action well
1: yeah i I think this scene is brilliantly shot mm-hmm. so del Toro and Felipe have commandeered this Bronco and they have Julia Lewis in the back and they realize that the people chasing them are not afraid to shoot at them in order to try and stop them to get her because all they care about is the baby. So they pull down a narrow alley. They pull far enough ahead and park where Diggs and the other bodyguard have to get out of the car to come for them. And then they have the car coast and pin them down and then just kind of like smoothly get back in the Bronco and drive away after they've pulled digs and the other guy, you know, whatever, 20, 30 feet away from their car. So they have to turn around and run back so they can get some distance on them. Really well shot. Really. There's some tension to it. It looks nice it honestly like that's the scene where i thought shit like mcquery just wants to make heat like he's trying to make a movie that feels like heat in the way that he's shooting the scene because it feels like and look no comparison because heat is a fucking masterpiece in my opinion but it feels to me like the scene where they're kind of flanking up the street behind the cars And like protecting each other and the way that he's you know that's what he's trying to present there but again it just it doesn't go anywhere and it's like you never believe that these two idiots because they are just idiots you never believe these two idiots could ever pull anything off and i guess that's the point is that they don't you know they're not successful and it really is just kind of dumb luck sometimes Mm -hmm. but to have them be able to take out like a whole cadre of trained professionals with their gunfighting skills it's just it's crazy and it's like again it, it feels like something that when you know when you walked out of when when we were kids you know we were in high school and we're watching that whole like that whole era of film with stuff like Pulp Fiction and he usual suspects and you're thinking like man i would love to make a movie like that and you start to come up with all these ideas and all this dialogue like this is the kind of shit that you would make yes but you were 17 years old you're not like a hollywood director with a right right, talented cast it's just i don't know man it's just yeah
0: no it's i understand exactly what you mean it's like when Blasto and i started writing like a screenplay when we're like 15 after pulp fiction comes out it's like it's the same shit you know like just trying to come up with funny witty lines you know like that's sound hard-boiled but really aren't Uh, yeah um yeah i I, you're right i mean he he, it shows signs of a director and it makes sense that he ends up doing a lot of these mission impossible movies later on like in terms of directing like i think he can direct action really well um I, 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 think he shot his wad on usual suspects and he isn't much of a writer when it comes down to it, like, well, you know, and the dialogue that he like puts in something like mission impossible when he write, when he helps write those, those movies, like it works in the mission impossible stuff kind of right. Because that's what it's supposed to be is like, you know, it's like, it's, 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 first of all, it's not as much dialogue and it's supposed to be cool and kind of like hip like and it can kind of work there i mean um so yeah i this movie's just it's it's not even just not good it's it's really bad it's a really bad movie yeah. and and it's like it is so god i never use the word like it's like nihilistic like it's like it's like nothing in this like has any meaning or matters the characters the plot none of it feels like any any nothing matters in this movie it is like it is a 17 year old edgelord you're exactly yeah. right that's what i mean is. i
1: and i think you're giving it too much credit to call it nihilistic i think it's more just like schadenfreude you know it's it's somebody that that hates <clears throat> number one again i don't think it can be overstated like how grossly homophobic this movie is and maybe the whole point is to show these characters in a way that makes them less sympathetic but you don't you ryan felipe's spiel to the intake nurse or whatever Mm -hmm. is not a not a soliloquy you give to a character that you want to eventually redeem and try and make likable. Yes, right. And I don't think that you can write something like that and not have it come in some perspective from a place of your own. Yes. Feeling or whatever, you know, right. it's like the Sarah Silverman thing. I, It's, it's crazy. Like how yeah. grotesque, you know, do you like to fuck babies? You like to face fuck babies. Yes. Yeah, you want to, you want to fuck a boy? Like we're going to fuck you in the ass. It's, it's so yeah yeah creepy and crass and never ending. Like that scene goes on. It feels like for so long, it does. And you know what? Here's the thing. If she's the cretin that's saying these things and then these two cool collected like killers, then beat the shit out of like all these people and kind of just walk away maybe that's maybe there's something there you know what i mean maybe that's some element of character development there where you see that there are people that can handle themselves but i mean they just get beat up by a bunch of dudes outside a club it's like i don't know it's just lame it's 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 a lame movie well uh,
0: yeah so like ultimately my feelings on this movie is um i actually found um our good friend um one of our good friends jonathan rosenbaum uh said that it's a lot of uninteresting and unpleasant people uh a lot of uninteresting and unpleasant people torture abuse and fire guns at a lot of other uninteresting unpleasant people in a repulsive interminable would-be crime thriller um and that largely sums up my feelings. Like I think there's a hatred towards women in this too, like that that uh, that b- belies the entire movie. And I think it's the fact that you really don't give anything of interest to Juliet Lewis, who I like her a bit more than you, but I'm still not like super high on Juliet Lewis. But she's a she can be a good actress, and she deserved more than this of just like you know being. I mean, think of what they're, you're doing to a pregnant mother throughout like you know all of this movie like and the that you're subjecting this character to and and not giving her anything of depth really like when it really comes down to it like you were it's to me it's like you have that problem with torture porn and stuff like that a lot of times um which i understand like this was more disturbing to me at times than any torture porn um of just the way that they subjected this character to all this stuff like like between that and the homophobic stuff like i i text you i felt like a worse person having watched this movie yeah like yeah, and yeah, taking the, the ideas way. of it into my mind um but i do want to bring up Because I I I did some reading the day before this because I was like dreading talking about this movie because it's just it doesn't make me feel good it really doesn't this movie and there's people and and you mentioned this right before we started there's people that really like this movie a lot
1: like so yeah so I I I tried to ask myself after I was watching it after I'd finished watching it does. Twenty-three-year-old Frank, if I go to see this in the theater, does he come out of that theater enjoying this movie? That's a good question, and man. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I right. mean, I want to think that I was probably past being impressed with stuff like this because obviously it didn't intrigue me enough to go see it. And I definitely knew about it, and I definitely was initially excited by Macquarie, you know, getting back with Del Toro mm-hmm. and like right doing a you know this this neo noir. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I would have liked this movie. Yeah. Still, I think I still would have found it to be stilted and over-talky and over, over-produced in a lot of ways for no reason. Because there's not really anything of interest that happens for the whole time. Like, take out the bad dialogue and, you know, whatever, and just look at the plot, and the plot's not even very good. Mm-hmm. It's this really overly complex plot about a very simple crime that it's not even that interesting you know like there's not much interest right right and if you would have developed a relationship between juliet lewis and ryan felipe like if there's an actual romantic relationship there where he suddenly becomes her protector and maybe is at odds with del toro for a period of time because he just wants to you know ditch her and run or whatever like whatever i mean i don't feel like rewriting way of the gun yeah but maybe if that's kind of the plot maybe then there is some interest maybe it does become complex for a reason because now you've introduced some kind of human complexity into the equation but she hates them the whole time Mm -hmm. like she's shoot like tries to kill them and then tries to escape from them and then when they get back to her it still is never determined that they're back because felipe wants to save her or because they just want their money which one hundred percent I think is what it is. Is you know, I mean, Felipe risks his life to try and snatch. That's like the joke in the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Basically, is that they've left this bag of their million dollars on the middle of this fountain, and Felipe is willing to risk his life to get the million dollars and just abandon her. So, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Oh. Terrible. Sorry, Tarantino. <laughs> i want
0: to I, I, okay let's talk about that before i do this real quick all right so well maybe that segues in this so this is, the whole idea here was post tarantino imitation right um so i want to i want to i found this audience review that I'm, I'm gonna have to like parse through here because it's extremely long somebody that very very much liked this movie though Um, And I want to I want you to hear their take on this. Uh, I'm going to make a bold statement and say this is the best action film of the last 20 years. Writer director Christopher McQuarrie, writer of The Usual Suspects, made a masterpiece that deconstructs the modern action film. Telling the story of two scumbags who kidnapped the surrogate mother of a rich man in hopes of ransoming her for millions Uh, the plan of course goes awry and things get violent and crazy the general story isn't all that different from a number of other action slash crime films and it's the way mcquery tells the story that makes this so unique taking many well-worn action film tropes and turning them on their head but still making them work to great effect the film starts not with an action sequence to build up its protagonist but starts with them getting the hell beaten out of them and left lying bloody in the street over a pointless argument in a very funny argument involving a hilariously obnoxious Sarah silverman there's also one of the slowest car chase scenes ever but it's wildly exciting and suspenseful at one point there's a brutal shootout which the audience never sees and only hears through the closed door from the pregnant julie s lewis's perspective When the audience does finally see the bloody aftermath, the streets are strewn with innocent bystanders like you never see in major Hollywood productions. And the subsequent action that follows is every bit the equal to the shootout of Michael Mann's bank robbery scene in Heat. You also get realistic gunfire sound effects as compared to the usual bombastic explosions you hear in most action flicks. That should be in parentheses, but um, I don't know why that's on this guy's mind. And then there's James Caan, he plays a bagman it type of character, sort of like Winston Wolf and Paul Fiction, But as compared to the usual tropes, this type of character he dresses like your grandpa in a member's only jacket. When Con delivers the line, uh, when Con delivers lines, um, it brims with heavy, untold character backstory. Uh, that's also kind of the magic of many of these characters. There's hints of their past in the backstories, but never none are ever fully detailed. Um, jump ahead here because he raves about these actors for like such a long time um i also say this film made me decide ryan phillip he was okay and not just the dull tiger beat pretty boy he's actually pretty badass in this
1: film um He's You're really breaker. making me mad, I just uh, 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 uh-huh.
0: Okay, here's the final part here. I'm it ahead because he praises the score a lot, too, for some reason. Okay, while way of the gun deconstructs the deconstructs the Walter Hill type of action film and turns this on a head, it absolutely delivers the action film goods. Something about this movie just clicked for me. It wasn't a universal hit with critics or audiences, but I'm sadly on the side of this film as a modern-day masterpiece. The film may annoy the casual action film fan since McQuarrie does subvert so many action cliches, but for people wanting something different, this film's well worth checking out. So I just want you to understand, this comes up a lot about the subversion of, especially not so much about critics now, but among film uh film watchers so it's like a 46 slash 70 percent on Rotten Tomatoes so audiences like this much more than critics do yes and this is a common thing among film watchers is that like that like it is like you know like oh it's it's subverting everything it's like you know um I see what they're saying at times but do you really think like this is like is so my question is does that is that part of what makes it a narrative fucking mess is like is is he subverting too much because it doesn't even feel like subversions to me it feels like it's it's not
1: it's it's not subversive at all so that's ridiculous it's very much like it's ridiculous to say that it's subverting any kind of like genre tropes or anything. It just it plays into. It It just does them poorly. And it puts way too much emphasis on being too clever for its own good in trying to make things plot twists that it telegraphs and doesn't even do well and then drops for no reason where there's no payoff to it. Like say what you want about Shyamalan. And he's a very uneven director and screenwriter and deserves a lot of the mockery that he gets for his overt need to put twists in his movies every twist in a Shyamalan movie has a payoff and even if it's a dumb payoff it still is there it still is something where you can say he gave me a and in the end showed me it was really B right Mm -hmm. every one of his movies Mm mm-hmm This movie is like, oh, James Conn is grizzled and old, but he's a caring dad, but they telegraph it. Oh, Tay Diggs is a loyal employee, but he's fucking the boss's wife, but never Mm -hmm. pay it off. Doesn't matter in the end. Right. You know, oh, Julia Lewis is in love with keeping her baby, but then doesn't get to keep her, maybe gets to keep her baby. I don't think it's to keep her baby. I'm not sure. Who knows? Cuz I think that the end shot of the end shot of this movie is um the mob boss and the wife and the wife is carrying a baby as she's walking in front of like their giant like window in their spacious mansion. And I thought the assumption was that James Khan even though he loved his daughter still like delivered the baby to his boss because that's his job to do it. Yes. Like ultimately he was yes. the one that could carry out you know the even if it meant hurting his family and he didn't want to do that yes the whole goal was to get her to carry the child to you know fruition and then mm-hmm. collect the million dollars and he did that yes and it's like where's the subversion there i mean it's i'm trying to think of a movie that subverts your expectation. you know what you know what's a, a movie that subverts your expectations wild at heart Because Wild at Heart is a road movie romance that's continuously subverting the pop culture tropes that exist in those kind of movies from Mm -hmm. the 50s and turning them into these crazy, like, acid-soaked fucking weird-ass visuals that only, like, Lynch really can do. But you know what that movie is fucking crazy like there's crazy mm-hmm. things happening in that movie and that's the subversion um I don't know I mean just having plot twists is not being subversive it's not it's not putting the genre on its head like having a slow fucking car chase okay heat ronin fucking um I don't know I mean, I probably can think of others I don't care It's just, it's, it's just, it's just a narrative device. It's not a subversion, you know, having Sarah Silverman be a disgusting hag with, you know, a huge fixation on homosexual sex Mm -hmm. and using it to like belittle a man, like that's not subversive. That's just like repulsive. Yes. It's crass. Having the gunfight take place off screen there's a really good example of that you know what fucking reservoir dogs for fuck's sake like reservoir dogs 90 percent of the gun violence takes place when you don't see it yes or takes place far like you see it far after you've seen the aftermath of it that's reservoir dogs is subverting that genre the gangster genre it's and i don't even like reservoir dogs that much anymore but in terms of what tarantino is doing there he's upending your expectations for what's going to happen in that movie mm-hmm. continuously and building suspense and structure and character through dialogue and action yes without ever paying it off viscerally by showing you what you want to see and actually memorable dialogue too right Right. Mm -hmm. that's that's subversion right of the genre like aping that in a really poor way and not ever paying it off is not subversion it's just bad filmmaking. it's just it's not a good movie so
0: I, i i have i i have two more things about reviews about this movie Hold on. I I want to be able to do this right. This is my favorite review from an audience. Highly underrated gem. I cannot fathom naysayers and those that label a derivative. Name any other film like it. You can't. Sloppy? Bullshit. Well-directed and with a tight plot. Macquarie told me he wrote it in five days. An amazing accomplishment. The acting is excellent. I normally don't care for Juliette Lewis, but she was good in this. Her father was great as usual del toro was amazing and this performance is better than the one he won an oscar for in traffic this is without a doubt philippi's best performance as to sluggish no criminal procedures with any cleverness at all will take significant setup i suspect the naysayers either didn't get it or didn't finish it (laughs) somebody's real angry real angry about reading some reviews on that one (laughs) um the 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 more serious thing i wanted to say though about this is that I've become really accustomed in the past three years to like going through the critical reviews and stuff like that on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So early on, like the contemporaneous reviews were, were, were more positive than negative for this movie, even though it only has whatever, like the 46%. Right. The, the 46, the, that 46% happened because as years have gone on more and more people reviewed it and it's become ne- uh, ne- with negative reviews. And I, to some degree, I don't know how you'd like it at the time as opposed to now, because I think you're exactly right. I think it is actually. Like, it does feel derivative. It's, like, um, it's not really, like, upending anything as these people argue. But I'm convinced that people wanted McC- <sighs> for some reason, I think people wanted McQueer, because all the reviews are very lukewarm. Yeah. It's like a lot of them are like these, like, three and a half out of five star reviews three out of four star reviews it's like they wanted for some reason somebody wanted mcquery to get positive reviews overall it feels to me um or the critics wanted to like this movie in some way maybe because they liked usual suspects i don't know um but something was going on with the reviewers at that time and I'm not trying to like uh, espouse some kind of like crazy conspiracy theory payola type shit, but it's like there, there's something going on at this time, whether it's coming from the reviewers themselves who ha- feel some sort of like, you know, uh, charity because of usual suspects or see some hope in this movie and are like giving it like slightly better reviews than it deserves. But you can sense through reading people like Gleberman and uh, Dessen Howe and Ebert like that there's a lot of there. there's negativity towards this movie that they're trying to kind of hold back on when you read these people yeah and do you my question is do you have any thoughts on that at the time period like oh, ninety-nine, yeah. 2000 like what why would they why do you think they would be so high on this movie <laughs>
1: possibly you find anything that you love you know that you discover and you get really excited about it and you find out that there's some follow-up to it right Mm -hmm. you know what i'm going to use an example from our conversation prior to getting on the podcast tonight we're both playing wonderlands right now the borderlands like side project Mm -hmm. both of us are really big fans of the Borderlands series with sort of like slightly diminishing results with each, you know, entry in the series, but we, we still enjoy all three of the main games. Right. Mm-hmm. So super excited, you know, really like want to love this game, you know, excited to play it. You start it not that great, you know, but still right. like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to like push through these first couple of levels when you love something and there's a follow-up to it, like you so desire for it to be good that I think sometimes you're willing to almost what's the word like like sacrifice your own dignity just to not admit that maybe you were wrong because if you go back and watch Usual Suspects like look Usual Suspects is a fine movie. Mm-hmm. Usual Suspects was amazing at the time when you when we first saw it, and I, this mm-hmm. is how I felt about it when I first saw it, because mostly because Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. is so fucking captivating in that role. Yes, and the reveal of Kevin Spacey, like yeah. sh- like shifting and transforming his body from like broken and brittle too confident and smooth it just it's it's mind-blowing it's amazing but that movie is overly complex and convoluted it just it didn't matter because it's so well done in terms of the performances and the final reveal that you forgive it like when you go back and watch usual suspects today with the knowledge of what's going to happen a lot of that stuff is really lame like a lot of those little reveals it, it it doesn't come off as very clever it just comes off as contrived but it still works because it's such a good performance so all these people were bamboozled by this including us you know and mm-hmm. i admit like loved usual suspects still think usual suspects is a really well done movie but then you see this follow-up and you're like oh my god was i wrong no i, I can't be wrong like there's no way i was wrong like now this has to be good let me write a review that makes it sound good you know and it's just they just like don't have it. it, it, it's it's fucking ego man it's ego and it's like self-preservation that how can you go back and look at your past self and say like man i was so dumb you know it's hard to do that so yeah sometimes you got to come back and say oh yeah yeah i was so right like this guy like this movie has some issues you know but but overall fantastic like i was so right about this guy then the fact that he doesn't make another movie for eight years i think shows that maybe we're kind of wrong like maybe this dude's not that great and I think McQuarrie is a good director and I like a lot of the movies he's done since then I like Jack Reacher I like his Mission Impossible stuff you know I think that he's a very talented director of action sequences and knows how to inject tension and energy into a scene but I don't think I just I, I think this is a complete miss. I think it's a mess I think it's and I don't think that Owen Lieberman, you know, the most one of the most egotistical fucks in the world, is willing in 2000 to admit that he might have been wrong about a director. Right. Go back and look at other follow-ups. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think of some other example of somebody that came out of the gates just like on fire, and then their follow-up was not that great. Um, I'm, on the, I, I, on I, the
0: indie scene, what's his name, Brothers McMullen guy?
1: Yeah, that's He's like that's that. a really good example. But people still praised. Um, She's the one. What was it? Is She's the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. right. Yep. She's yep. the one is a boring fucking movie. Mm-hmm. It's got a. You, you know what the best part about She's the One is the soundtrack. That Tom mm-hmm. Petty soundtrack's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But everything else about that movie is just so bland. But I remember it getting right. Look the fucking audience. <laughs> and that's that's the thing is I think that you know they just they wanted they they so desired to be the people that were on the finger on the pulse of the next Tarantino, like the next big thing in this emerging genre of action, like witty action crime films without realizing that nobody else can do that. You know, like that's not like what Tarantino can do in terms of melding dialogue and character and plot and direction is a a once-in-a-lifetime talent like that's not something that just comes along and you don't just like manufacture that right you know and again like anyone that's listened to this for this fucking long at this point go back and watch the usual suspects again someday with the full knowledge of what happens in that movie and i guarantee you do not enjoy that movie as much as you did the first time you saw it it's impossible to it's impossible to um but you know what? Let me tell you this. This this movie's not like the greatest movie. I still like The Sixth Sense. Right. I still, like, even knowing the whole time what the, the twist is of that movie, mm-hmm. I still enjoy that movie and think it's a well-done supernatural thriller. Yeah. And I think it's got some good scares. I think it's got some really well-filmed scenes. I think it's got some great performances. And I think it still can be very enjoyable to watch and i think the usual suspects has some really great points but i think it loses something when you know the entire time what the ending is right
0: well because there's a plot outside of the fact that he's the ghost right and like basically like what you what you do is like the only thing you have left to talk about is like if any of that stuff was real and like what actually like happened you know in right like the usual suspects and once you figure it out like you think it through it's like you you've negated the entire plot by that
1: point yeah because none of it makes sense when you really start to put the things together right right and again you're looking at an unreliable narrator like is everything being told from you know verbal clemp's perspective um where that is anything that you've seen actually happened or you're just in his narrative as well but none of that stuff happens in this movie and he tries to make it happen in this movie with the parallel of the two of them laying broken and bloody in the street both at the beginning of their illustrious crime career Mm -hmm. and then one caper later that they failed at the end of their illustrious crime career um but it doesn't work it's just not a good movie. all right so what's your chagrin score on this It's an eight, I think. I didn't hate it as much as I've hated some other things that I've watched. And
0: well, the only thing you've given a nine
1: to is Larry the Cable
0: Guy. So, <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy, at eight. So, buddy
1: Larry the Cable Guy, colon health inspector. You need to you, you need to say the title, you need to breathe that title right. because it's put some fucking respect on it, huh? Right, you got to put a respect on that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's an eight it's it's really close to one of the worst things that i've watched in the past 13 weeks so yeah i mean yeah
0: i i don't watch as i i don't subject myself to the torture you do it's it was really bad it was it was one of the worst movie watching and thought experiments that i had to do after watching that movie that i've experienced in a while so
1: yeah, and um, what I would say is, like, the only thing, the thing that keeps it from being a nine for me is that I can appreciate some of the stuff that McQuarrie does in it, and I do like, you know, James Con's performance, so. Mm-hmm. All right. I am
0: going to spin the wheel. Um, Let's do it. All right. Before I reveal what the spin wheel is, Frank, I want you to take a look at Christopher Macquarie right here. Take a look at this picture. Take a close look right. at it. Yeah, tell I me what it. you tell me what you
1: think. think you think of, about this um, guy. I think of what's his name from uh uh like in Maine and um waiting for government. What's that dude's name? christopher guest no 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 hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna look up the guys the actor's name he looks like a much um this this
0: dude got bullied in high school and he he definitely got bullied in high school and then it's like he did something with his hair after he be beca- after he got an Oscar nom, <laughs> I just see John Michael Higgins right there. Oh, gotcha. You know who I see? Um, this is going to be a really weird reference. Uh, the actor actor's name is Stephen Whitting. Um, hold on, he was there. He is.
1: To be clear, so, we're looking the- at a picture of fucking. It's Christopher McQuarrie, I said Christian it. McQuarrie. Okay. Yeah. do you, Do you remember this guy? Oh yeah, I know that dude.
0: Yeah, that's who he reminds me of. Is he was in uh, Batman
1: Returns when we talked about? Yeah, I, I always think he's the guy from They Might Be Giants. Actually, every time I see him, <laughs> right. That's who he looks like. Right. Um. You know, you know what, you know what that McQuarrie picture makes me think of is it's like, yeah, I'm watching Entertainment Weekly in 2022 and it's like, <laughs> whatever happened to the kid from Jerry Maguire? And then. Mm-hmm. There
0: you there go. You. That's a good reference. Yeah. Jonathan yeah,
1: like, Lip Lipkowitz. is that right? Yeah. Lip lip Lipnicky. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Jonathan Lip Lit Litniki? Lipnicky? I
0: have no idea. Something. I can't remember. A That's human head weighs
1: weighs eight pounds or whatever. <laughs> right. 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 You have me a hello. All right. Hmm. You ready? You ready? Yeah. What's my, what's what's my wheel?
0: grown men acting like assholes is the category well we
1: just just watched that movie so we
0: did um grown men acting like assholes that puts you in the comedy
1: realm frank i think Mm. we'll see lots of movies with lots of assholes i do not watch many comedies though so I'll think about it grown men acting like assholes the
0: implication you can take it a number of different ways i think the implication to that though and and i can only speak to the implication because i i, I actually did this um is, I, gotta, I gotta watch
1: some will ferrell movie or something or the, I yeah
0: like I to some degree yeah like you know it's like it's like it's the idea of like that they're man children like you know it's grand, grown men going around just doing asshole childish prankish shit so it's like you could watch the jackass movies and i think it fits um you could watch you know wedding crashers 4 if if that exists like straight to dvd with like um uh i don't know who would be in that um jeremy piven and i
1: already found my movie <laughs> what did you hold on what did you google no, I just searched to find the movie because I knew exactly oh. what it was. Okay. All right. As soon as it came up. Because it's a movie I've never seen and I've never wanted to see it. Okay. All
0: right. All right. So I can take Grimman. Actually, yeah, so, so one more Frank I don't know if you have anything, but I don't Free think on. Huh? Free on what? Free on Hulu. Free on Hulu. Free on Hulu. Good job. Um we're a movie podcast we can't get away so i want to ask you a question from this past week is what is coda and why did it win so many oscars and do you think that you will um
1: like that movie when you watch it uh coda is a movie that has a large cast of deaf actors um and it involves uh a kid whose family is deaf but he can hear. And hmm. I think it's I, I think CODA stands for children of deaf adults, I'm pretty sure. Oh, like it it's does. Yes. Yeah. So
0: okay. I never put that together. I did not look this question up myself because I wanted to ask you.
1: Yeah, I mean I really wanted to see it when okay. I saw trailers for it. Um I think it looks fantastic. Yeah. I I don't know if it's the best movie of the year, um, but I definitely think it's cool that the Academy like recognized a movie you know that is pretty challenging to watch for most people considering it's subtitled um right yeah i thought this movie looked really good Is Marley one in it uh, i don't know huh. i'm pretty excited to see it though okay all right cool um i i
0: that's the one movie i hadn't looked up like out of all the lists of yeah. oscar noms I, I don't think i looked it up like whatsoever
1: i thought you were gonna hot take me for a second
0: nope um that's cool we'll
1: be the was, only podcast that was that was, that, that, that was, the,
0: that was the partial joke <laughs> so yeah no no interest <clears throat> um no interest in, in in deconstructing that um right, like, right i already left like um, like, um said <laughs> right like Christopher mccrory
1: deconstructed the walter hill action movie so right we're we're subverting the expectations of our audience by not talking about the thing that every person is talking about exactly so, right yeah actually Subversion. i think i think the time is passed already we're, we're we're 48 hours
0: past it man come on Right. i right, moves on um so right, goes on
1: without me all
0: right so grown men acting like assholes next week you got the yep. movie i got already it figured it out
1: yeah right. 100% all right cool Right. It actually, it it actually might be another nine. I'm gonna let you know because <laughs> I remember the trailers for this movie and being absolutely appalled. Is David Spade in it? A hundred percent, he is. Oh shit,
0: that's a good guess then. Oh yes. shit. All well, right,
1: you're a low hanging fruit, really. If you can, if you think about it,
0: <laughs> that just made me feel bad about myself, but not as bad as watching the way the gun did um it made me feel like a really terrible human being. um For oh my god it's from. free a bunch of places Oof. Mm. Mm. okay um
1: all
0: right you have anything else that you want to talk
1: about no, i night? can't think of anything really that happened this week um taylor hawkins died that was sad all uh, oh, right yeah 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 not that we talk about music much but um you know i mean Seems like a really decent and universally loved person. So, you know, curious to see what happens with the Foo Fighters, I guess. But really sad for, you know, them and his family. Not a big Foo Fighters fan, but um, everything I've read about the guy subsequently sounds like a decent yeah. dude. I mean, friggin' um, Elton John eulogized him on the other night. Like, the night it happened and played Candle in the Wind in his honor. So, Oh, Jesus. Yeah,
0: okay. only done that for one other person, right? Um, yeah, he
1: was like, it was like, 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 this is one of the best people I've ever met in my life, and right, one of the truest musicians Jeez. that's ever lived, and right. yeah, it was pretty. Um, that's crazy. weird. I don't know. I didn't watch the performance, but okay. I just read like a, who knows, whatever. In the disposable world we live in. I read like a BuzzFeed <laughs> blurb or something, but you know, yes,
0: yes um it does a lot of it feel disposable anymore um and uh on that note thank you for for listening (laughs) to more disposable media um we will be back next week with uh episode 14 grown men acting like assholes main podcast we will be taking a break this week and we will be back um the following uh saturday with the top five horror remakes that are as good as the original, which is a really interesting list. So,
1: yeah, it's a good list. I'm excited to talk about all these movies. So. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Yep. Deuces.